Hi, it's Shelley Flett, and I'm so excited that you're joining me to listen to the Dynamic Leader podcast. The podcast is centered around my book, The Dynamic Leader, and includes reading of the chapters, along with interviews with leaders in a number of different industries. If you haven't already done so, I encourage you to get yourself a copy of The Dynamic Leader, either online through booktopia.com or at any good bookstore. I'm passionate about creating the next generation of dynamic leaders and sharing tools and experiences that can completely transform an individual, a team, or a whole organization. I ask that you listen with curiosity and be open to taking on different perspectives. I hope you enjoy. Welcome back. Today, we are moving on to chapter 10 of the book, looking at influencing results. For those of you reading along with the book, we are on page 222. When you have invested in relationships with your team and the level of trust is high, and when you have inspired respect and built a high level of engagement, then you can turn your attention to influencing results. What we will look at in this chapter of the book builds upon what we have covered so far in the previous chapters, looking at relationships and respect. This chapter focuses on how to empower your staff, how you hold them accountable, and ensure you're being transparent in everything you do. How this all comes together in the dynamic leadership model is shown in figure 10.1 of the book. Before getting to the specific elements with results, let's first Look at your attitude towards action versus inaction. Inaction versus action when coming to influencing results. If you're anything like me, results and taking action will be a very big reason for getting out of bed in the morning. Knowing that I have things to accomplish gives me energy and motivates me. If you gave me the choice to help someone renovate their house on a weekend or sit in front of the TV and watch endless episodes of my favorite series on Netflix, I would help the person renovate their house. See, I don't like sitting still or doing nothing, so my natural inclination is to do. Even when I'm watching TV, I will be doing something else at the same time, like cooking, folding laundry, or sorting through basic emails. I really struggle to stop and just be. One of my ongoing areas of development is to stop and to give myself time to reflect, prepare, create, or just ponder the possibilities. I've been working on these things, but inevitably make them a task on my to-do list, which is kind of defeating the purpose. I will find somewhere inspiring to sit like a park bench by the river, set the timer on my phone for 15 minutes and do being present. For the first five minutes, I'm looking around at the environment and noticing different things like the color of the water, the sounds in the trees and the movement of the grass. Then my mind will wander and I'll be thinking about all the things I need to achieve and then wonder how long I've been doing nothing. Then I'll catch myself and focus on my breathing before going through the cycle again. The 15 minutes feels like two hours and when the timer goes off, I feel a wave of relief that I can go back to my comfort zone of do I could easily say that doing nothing just because it isn't my thing and leave it at that because it's the reason I've struggled in certain areas of my life. The benefit of just being and reflecting has been in my blind spot. And now that I know and I'm consciously aware and I'm consciously incompetent at it, I want to learn more. So part of my daily ritual is I allow time for my mind just to wander. 
It's generally when I'm doing a task that comes automatically, like cooking or walking. But instead of listening to a podcast or watching a TV show, I'll give myself some quiet time. And I'm learning not to be hard on myself when I'm not doing it the right way. I just let my mind do its thing and notice what comes up. It is the interest I have taken in mindfulness and slowing down my pace that has given me valuable time to think things through. If I was still focusing just on delivering results, I probably wouldn't have completed this book with the depth it has. You would quite likely be holding a very thin 20-page book that just covered the actions you need to take, and I would unlikely be recommending you to read it. So through all this slowing down and reflecting, I've come to realize that for leaders to deliver results, they don't necessarily have to take a lot of action. Action is definitely where many leaders feel the most comfortable because they feel a sense of accomplishment in the short term. But over a longer period, it's not an effective way to influence your team to deliver. Your main lesson from this chapter of the book is to work out what the results actually are and whether they require action from you or whether they require inaction. That is for you to simply enable your team to do their job. Influencing results isn't controlling what others do or doing the work yourself. It's provoking the right environment, support and encouraging your staff to support and be their best. When your staff know you and respect you, they will assume greater responsibility for their individual performance along with the performance of the team. They will do what it takes to ensure ongoing and sustainable success. And this starts with empowerment. Empowerment. Definition. Authority or power given to someone to do something. Until you can trust your staff to make the right decisions and take the right action, you will continue to be tempted to do the work yourself. And if you've read the book up to this point, you'll know that continuing to do the work yourself will lead to burnout and dysfunctional leadership. Empowering your staff is the only next step in successfully creating a dynamic team. So what does empowering your staff actually mean? Let me first share with you what it is not. It is not giving them a task that they have never done before and expecting that they will work it out for themselves without any guidance or support from you. It is not giving them a task that you can continue to micromanage the activity on and control their every step and decision. It is not giving them a task with no direction and then taking it back when they haven't achieved what you expected. It is also not giving them a task with vague instructions and an unclear outcome and ultimately setting them up for failure. I hear so many leaders say something along the lines of, yeah, empowerment doesn't work in my team. I tried it once and it was a disaster. Creating an empowered team takes time to set up and ongoing support to maintain. It's not something you try once and then reject before reverting back to the way you've always done things. This is not your way forward. Before you can confidently empower your staff, you must have a level of trust and comfort that they can make the right decisions, even if they're different to yours. You must also believe they have the right skill level and experience to complete the task independently. Again, many leaders will give a task to their staff along with a vague description description of what is required and assume they'll just figure it out. What's required is an upfront investment from you to walk through how a task is performed prior to empowering them to do it on their own. You might do this task the first time and then 
they are watching and taking notes along the way. The second time, you may ask them to perform the task while you watch and provide the feedback. And by the third time, they will be ready to complete it on their own, with your support if they need it. It's not until the third time that you'll start to save some time and feel the pressure release a little. In most situations, when you're empowering your staff, it is likely to get harder before it gets easier. The key is to plan effectively and commit once you've decided to go ahead and then see it through to the end. When you try to cut corners and not invest the time up front, your staff will inevitably fail and you're likely to blame them for their incompetence rather than how well you set them up for success from the beginning. While you might be thinking, that's a little harsh, Shelley, I want you to know that my comments come from observation and experience with hundreds of leaders. So while it might not be refer to you directly, I'm sure you know another leader who this does refer to. Perhaps you could lend them a copy of your book once you've finished it. If you haven't empowered your staff and aren't sure where to start, here are some focus areas along with some questions to ask yourself to help work out whether you or your staff are ready to take the next step and allow them to take control over the task. Desire. Does the staff member I'm thinking about, empowering, have the desire to grow and develop? Your outcome will generally be more positive if you can align it to someone's longer-term career goal. They will see performing the task as a great way to get exposure to a future role and proving their ability. Skill level. Does the staff member have the right skill level to learn and complete the task? This might mean having a base level of knowledge in a certain system or process that can be built upon. Does this knowledge align with a natural strength or a strong desire to improve proficiency in this area? For example, if communication is a, nat a natural strength of a particular staff member, but they have a base level of comprehension and a strong desire to improve, they're likely to be a great person to empower. Agreement. Does the staff member actually want to take on the task? I remember when I was little watching my older sister make mum and dad a cup of coffee. I'm not sure how you get an instant cup of coffee so terribly wrong, but my parents never asked her to do it again. I can only conclude that she didn't want to do it and she purposely did it wrong so she'd never have to do it again. If you think this might be the case with a certain staff member, you may choose to pick someone else. Another option is simply being prepared for the staff member to fail the first time before getting them to do it again. This behaviour doesn't tend to continue when they know the task is going to stay with them until it's done correctly. So sometimes it's just a matter of seeing it through to completion. Letting go. Am I ready to let go of my way of doing things? Sometimes we need to have a firm word with ourselves to get over needing to be in control of everything all the time. For me, this is still something I struggle with and I'm aware of it so I can actually catch myself in the moment and I can let it go. Outcome. Do I know what I want the outcome to be? What's the purpose of doing this task? It's surprising how often we ask our staff to do a task that is vague and ambiguous and one where not even we know what the outcome is going to be. For other tasks, leaders can simply assume both they and the staff member want the same outcome but the leader hasn't clearly identified what that is. So where possible, define the outcome you expect from the task specifically. 
If you don't know the outcome for a task, consider whether delegating it to a staff member is appropriate. If you want their creative input, the outcome might simply be getting them to brainstorm some ideas and then coming back together to determine next steps. Rules of engagement. Have I communicated to my staff about when I want the task completed? Do they know how, when, what I would like them to keep me informed of along the way? This one isn't as common, but I have seen leaders get frustrated with staff who agree to take on a task and then provide no progress on updates, just radio silence. They don't know they should be keeping their leader updated and the leader tends to come to all sorts of incorrect conclusions about what's going on with them. So enabling how you want to be engaged from the beginning will avoid a lot of angst along the way. Decision-making powers. Does the staff member know what they can make decisions on and what needs to be escalated? Empowering staff doesn't mean you need to hand over the whole processes or functions. Instead, you may only want to empower them to make decisions up to a certain level and then refer decisions to you. Or... You might want to be part of the particular decision if it's highly sensitive. Again, you can't assume that they will know when to involve you, so give further detail around this where possible. If you don't tell them, you can't blame them when things go wrong. The teaching process. Have I taught the staff member how to perform the task and watch them do it at least once on their own? As already mentioned, the staff member will likely not be able to complete the task by themselves until at least the third time that they're doing it. Support. Does a staff member have the necessary support throughout performing the task? Will I be available if they have questions or need clarification? If they're not going to be available, then find someone who can help them when they need it. It's important that staff feel like they're supported and not abandoned. Once you've set the right environment to empower your staff, it's time for you to get out of their way. Leave them to get on with the task and trust that they'll do the best they can with the resources they have. Believe in their ability to give the task the right level of attention and represent you as best they can. Finally, if the task they've been given doesn't go to plan, never ever throw them under the bus. Take the responsibility for what has happened and talk to them about it. With effective empowerment comes a really strong feedback loop. If certain things were done really well, share it. Similarly, if things could have been done better in the future, then take time to reflect with a staff member and learn from their mistakes. Adopt a mindset of there is no failure, only feedback. And each time you empower your staff, they'll be better than the last time. Remember, empowering your staff is a process that takes time to set up, but gets quicker and easier over time, and it's well worth the investment. And by empowering your staff, you will build their confidence, their skill set, and their motivation. More importantly, you will have more time to work on the things that matter most and allow you to evolve as a leader. Accountability. Definition. Required or expected to justify actions or decisions. Responsible. Able to be explained or understood. Accountability is kind of like the glue that holds everything together. It's a way to calibrate on what is being said and done and make adjustments where necessary. A leader who cannot hold their staff accountable 
will fail to hold the respect of their team over time. Many leaders, particularly in small businesses, expect their staff member they've recently hired to just go ahead and do what they're supposed to do without so much as a proper conversation. And it's nice to know that some people actually will jump in straight away and give it a go. But they are the exception, not the rule. Most people like to know what's expected and then they like to know that there's some type of reward for getting it right or some type of consequence for getting it wrong or not doing it at all. Real life example. I remember speaking to the owner of a hair salon who just couldn't find a good stylist. There was always a problem with their performance and so the turnover was higher than average. When I asked her what the process was to induct and train a new stylist to the salon, she said, I show them around and you know they know where all the equipment is and then I teach them the booking system, which was, in this example, a paper notebook that sat on the front counter. And then I let them go and get on with it. No conversation about the business's values, how they differentiate between other salons, how they take their clients through the process, nothing. I then asked her about what happens when they're not doing the things the way that she wanted them to do. She said, "Ah, I just cut back their shifts until eventually they leave. Without a single conversation about what they were doing wrong. When I asked if she ever gave any type of feedback, she said, nah, if they're qualified, then they should really know these things. And, you know, it's common knowledge. It's what we all do. What I took from the conversation was this. For stylists to have a long career working in this salon, they needed to be able to read the minds and anticipate what the owner liked and didn't like. That's not too much to expect, surely. Well, this particular business owner was at the time at the extreme end of avoiding conflict. She's not alone in her approach to conversations. How often have you said to yourself, "Yeah, I'll let that go. I'm sure they didn't mean it. Or... I won't say anything this time. I'm sure it's just a one-off. Do you expect the behavior will autocorrect? Sometimes it might, but it's rare. Often the behavior will continue and can even get worse over time if nothing is said. Hold yourself accountable. So why aren't you having the hard conversations? The most popular response I hear is, I don't want to upset anyone, followed by, well, they're still quite new and then I'm sure they didn't mean it, and so on and so on. We find ways to justify why we haven't had the conversation and reassure ourselves that we'll do it next time. And then we don't, but we have a different reason. And so the cycle continues. As well as not wanting to confront someone, however, perhaps you're also avoiding accountability conversations because you're afraid of being labelled a hypocrite. In other words, you're not following through on your own commitments so you can't very well challenge your staff on their shortcomings. Perhaps you do one of these things. Perhaps you offer to do things for your staff that you know aren't a priority and will never get done. Perhaps you agree to unrealistic timeframes and don't say they're unachievable until after the due date has passed. Perhaps you regularly make commitments and then forget about them. Perhaps you say yes to doing tasks that you know nothing about and set them aside hoping they'll never get mentioned again. Commit to connecting staff with people in your network who can assist with their professional development. But then get busy, deprioritize 
and make excuses for why you haven't followed through. If you are guilty of doing any of these things, having accountability conversations with your staff is a waste of time and you'll be seen as a hypocrite. Your staff will assume that you don't respect them and the conversation won't change their behaviour. You're just likely to end up with a team who is disengaged and potentially resentful. When you share your actions or intentions with others, you open up yourself to be challenged on the outcome. This verbalisation in itself generally motivates people to fulfil the task and avoid being challenged. For those of you who need some more motivation or perhaps suffer from procrastination or a lack of follow-through, consider some of the following strategies to hold yourself accountable. Find an accountability partner to check in on on a regular basis and keep you on track. Make sure they do not tolerate excuses and challenge you when they feel you've lost focus. Make your commitment public by sharing your agreed actions and timelines with others. You could put it on social media or tell a friend or colleague. Make it visual by creating a vision board or setting a reminder on your phone to monitor progress. Create a checklist to break down your task into smaller activities and check them off as they're completed. For further tips in this area, refer to chapter six. If you still miss a commitment, which can happen on the rare occasion, continue to hold yourself accountable to your staff. Talk to them about what happened and what you're going to do to avoid it happening in the future. And then make sure you follow through. If you're doing what you say you're going to do, in other words, acting with integrity, becoming comfortable with accountability conversations is simple. But you do have to keep a certain aspects in mind. The following sections outline the steps I recommend you follow to easily hold your team accountable. Set expectations. Make sure both you and your staff are clear on what the expected objectives or outcome of the task are from the very beginning. If you haven't set expectations, you can't give feedback on something and just assume they should know. As mentioned in the empowerment section, setting expectations includes outlining the desired outcome and the rules of engagement and being aware of the teaching process. If you've forgotten to share information with them at the start of the task, any feedback at the end of the process is simply a note for next time. It won't be an accountability conversation. Agree on a time frame for delivery. When you ask your staff to perform a task, you absolutely must give them a time frame to complete this within. Without a time frame, nothing ever not done is simply not done. Not done yet. So let them know when you would like the task to be complete and then ask whether that time frame fits into their schedule. The conversation here might expand to other priorities and making a decision around what should be done first and this is perfectly okay. As long as both parties agree that the final time frame is acceptable and achievable. Remember, you are responsible for observing non-verbal cues with your staff when setting time frames. Often staff will agree to the time frame you've suggested because you're the boss, even if it's not realistic. In these instances, you will likely see their physiology or their body language doesn't match what they're saying, so you'll need to ask them further questions to get them to open up. You might ask something like, what other things are you working on right now and what do you need to put on hold? If you commit to completing this task by this agreed time, 
what else isn't going to get done? Or can you achieve this time frame without working any extra hours? Get them to open up on what's going on with their workload and adjust the time frame or other priorities to make sure that they can achieve what you're setting out. The other thing to note around gaining agreement on timeframes is that if it isn't a solid yes, then it's a no. Agreement doesn't come with a, yeah, that should be okay, or I'll try, or okay, I'll see if I can do it. It needs to be definite. You may think this is a small thing, but I promise you, it's the thing that makes the biggest difference. Finally, once the time frame is agreed, ask if they need support with anything else to ensure that it's met. Openly discuss consequences. This step isn't required in every instance, but is absolutely essential if your staff member has failed to meet your expectations in the past. Ask them what might happen if they miss this deadline. This could be focused around what might happen to the business or the team or you as their leader and their colleagues. Once you're comfortable, they understand the flow on impacts of not doing what they've just committed to doing. Ask them what consequences might be for them personally. Ask the staff member to come up with all the possible consequences. For example, well, I'll have to stay back after hours to complete it. It will be reflected in my monthly performance results. Um, I will be put on to a performance improvement plan, which actually might be the case if the issue is ongoing. Uh, we'll have another conversation. This is sometimes all that's needed. I will lose my job. I'll buy coffee for the whole team. I'll attend the next senior leadership meeting. You get the idea. It doesn't really matter what the consequence is, as long as it's enough to give them the motivation that they need to follow through on their commitment. Of course, if they fail to follow through on the commitment, you need the next section. Having an accountability conversation. If the objective or outcome isn't achieved or the due date is missed, an accountability conversation should be held. The conversation will start with you restating what was agreed in the initial discussion. Some questions you might like to ask to get the conversation going include, how are you doing? Just checking if everything's okay. I'm just following up on a task that I gave you. You agreed to finishing it on the 3rd. Um, well, it's now the 5th. So I'm just wondering, you know, what's happened? And then give your staff member enough silence to come up with their own response. Don't respond on their behalf. And then you might say, okay, well, do you remember that you agreed of the consequence if you didn't follow through on the task? And then the following sections offer some tips on how to follow these questions. Let them come to their own conclusion. Generally, if you've given them a period of silence to reflect, staff will either conclude their mistake and accept the consequences, or they might try to give excuses, which you'll softly challenge. It's important to make the conversation as open and supportive as possible. The key intention for having this conversation is to get your staff to come to their own realisations about how they approach their task. Take the lessons. Once they've started to offer some insight and conclusions, say, okay, great. So what might you do next time? Help them to adopt new thought patterns, behaviours and ways of working. These might include prioritisation of work or realising that they don't have the capacity or skill set to complete the task. 
So your focus then could be on minimizing distractions or perhaps providing additional training and support. Offer support. Finally, ask them if you can do anything to support them through this change. Again, it's important that you wait until they've come up with their own conclusions before you offer support, or they may transfer the responsibility over to you. If they do need support from you, make sure you follow through with anything you commit to. Repeat. If you're having accountability conversations regularly, your staff will learn very quickly to manage expectations better. Your conversations will become less frequent and your team will become more engaged and productive. Remember that the behaviour you accept will continue. It's up to you to first be a role model with your own behaviour and then hold your staff accountable for theirs. What's in a word? An extension of accountability is the words you use in your conversations. If you have staff who aren't following through or doing what is expected, you may want to consider what language you're using in your discussions. Sometimes the language you use unintentionally dilutes or distorts the message you're communicating. Here are three words that when used in the wrong context can affect accountability in your team. Word number one, but. This word should rarely be used. In fact, as a general rule, you should stop saying it completely. But discounts what you've just said and can undermine your authenticity as a leader. For example, you're doing a great job, but some improvements need to be made. Instead, use the word and. Word number two. Try. This word is annoying. As Yoda from Star Wars says, do or do not, there is no try. Try is non-committal and can come across as being invested or not being invested in the person or the outcome. For example, yeah, I'll try to get this done by the end of the week. Instead, use the words will or won't if you're not realistically going to have the time. Word three, we. This word should be used to create a sense of belonging and in the right context, it is very effective. Be careful not to use we when you're managing the performance of an individual. In this context, we can provide the perfect opportunity for underperformers to avoid taking responsibility. For example, what can we do to improve your performance? To which the staff member might put the responsibility back on you as their leader. Instead, use the words you and I. For example, what can you do to improve your performance? This is what I will commit to doing. If you're struggling to move your team into action, looking at your word choice might be part of the solution. Remember that sometimes it's the smallest changes that can have the biggest impacts. Have the conversation. Holding your staff accountable doesn't have to be a challenging conversation. The reason these conversations become challenging is because we put them off until they are absolutely pissing us off with the person's actions or behaviours. So we have to manage not only the content of the conversation, but also the emotions that have built up over time. Never have an accountability conversation when you're already frustrated or annoyed with someone. Let the emotions pass and go into the conversation with openness, curiosity and patience to let your staff member work through their own thought processes. Remember that conversations that are avoided bubble away under the surface and do real damage to trust and the strength and resilience of a relationship over time. 
Susan Scott, author of Fierce Conversation, sums this up perfectly. The conversation is the relationship. If the conversation stops, all the possibilities for the relationship become smaller and all the possibilities for the individuals in the relationship become smaller until one day we overhear ourselves in mid-sentence making ourselves smaller in every encounter, behaving as if we are just the space around our shoes, engaged in yet another three-minute conversation so empty of meaning it crackles. Transparent, by definition, allowing light to pass through so that objects behind can be seen distinctly. Easy to perceive or detect. The final component of the dynamic leadership model and this book is to be transparent. If you've worked your way through the model and the book, you are now listening to investing in relationships and developing a deeper level of trust with your staff and you are inspiring respect and encouraging healthy conflict. You are empowering your staff to take control and you're holding both them and yourself accountable. Transparency is really just the cherry on top of a deliciously constructed cake. Transparency is often shown as a core business value or customer promise, and rightfully so. Both customers and staff want to believe that they're being seeing the full picture or hearing the full story. Seasoned leaders may have worked on being fully transparent for a number of years, but as a new leader, perhaps you sometimes find knowing what you share with your team and what to withhold a little difficult. Being transparent doesn't mean telling everyone about everything. No doubt you can think of certain things you must not share with your staff and nor would you, your staff expect you to. Transparency isn't about full disclosure. It's about being open and honest and completely unapologetic about what must stay confidential. Real life example. I once worked for a leader who did transparency so well. He would say to his leadership team, there are things that I can share with you and there are things that I can't. I'm not going to promise to tell you everything. But what I can promise is that I will share as much as I can so that you can understand what's happening at a higher level and that you feel like you're equipped to make the right decisions with your team. And he followed through on this promise. We never felt like he was being decepted, deceptive, and we trusted that he was sharing what he could along with doing the right thing by his people. During the time I worked for him, the organisation went through several restructures and each time we knew they were coming and we had a reasonable idea of how we might be affected. This gave us the opportunity to prepare our teams for change and think about what might be next. His was one of the few teams with engagement scores that increased even despite the restructure and loss of roles for some people. Don't be lazy. So why do some leaders lack transparency? I have a theory that only two types of leaders lack transparency, the narcissistic leader and the lazy leader. If you're still reading the book to this point, I'm going to assume that you're not the narcissistic leader who holds other people back for your own personal gain. This type of leader doesn't want anyone to be better than them and deliberately withholds information to keep their staff dependent on them. The lazy leader, on the other hand, finds the sharing of information all too hard and is too lazy to work out what to communicate and what to withhold. So they withhold everything. They generally don't realise the damage they do by not communicating effectively with their team. 
staff are frequently taken by surprise and over time, this type of leader will lose credibility and the confidence of their team. If you're going to empower your team to make the right decisions, you need to be giving them all the information they need to make these decisions. When you're doing this, you're operating with full transparency and your team will operate the same way. When your team culture embraces transparency, no necessary conversation will be left unsaid. No idea will be held back for fear of how others may perceive you. And no dream will be too unrealistic for staff to want to share with you. One of the best signs that you are operating with full transparency is when a staff member can come to you and say, I don't think my career is with this organisation anymore. I need help to move on. And you can give them your full support without judgment and without your opinion. You will also be completely transparent about the opportunity this will present to redefine their role and improve it for the next person and seek their support to make it happen. Avoiding misinformation and opinion. If I think about the impact of transparency has on customer experience, I automatically gravitate to product recalls and how they are managed within the public. In the past, product recalls were dealt with quickly and quietly. They were covered up or brushed over so as not to tarnish the brand. Today, businesses are open to sharing faults with products. Organisations now realise that customers don't want perfect, they want honest. Most customers will forgive a defect or recall if the brand concedes that they made a mistake and if the brand then does what they need to do to rectify the mistakes so the inconvenience to the customer is minimised. Customers will usually forgive honest mistakes. Not only this, but the more transparent a business is, the more trust is built and a stronger relationship is created. When a mistake is downplayed, diluted or hidden completely, trust will erode So now when a product recall occurs, businesses are very quick to let the public know what is going on. They will share how it happened and most importantly, how they're going about fixing the current issue. They will also share their lessons learned and the changes that they're making to prevent future occurrences. When dealt with in this way, customers generally don't see recall as being a huge issue and are more likely to continue doing business with the brand or product. It works the same for leaders. Only your customers are your staff. The other benefit to being fully transparent is that gossip and the good old rumour mill have no place. When you are operating with full transparency, your staff have less time to make assumptions around what's going on. If you are not being transparent, your staff will quickly work to fill in the gaps. And I guarantee their imagination and what they come up with is a whole lot more creative than the reality of the situation. When you give enough information for your staff to feel safe and secure and informed, these conversations will become null and void. Transparency is being open about whatever you can without giving your opinion. Opinions don't need to be disclosed. In fact, they should not actually be offered unless someone asks for them. Your opinion is the conclusion you've made about various pieces of information. This conclusion may be correct, but it is more likely just to be one of the many different ways of looking at a situation. So the more you can stick to fact and concrete information, the better able your staff are to form their own opinions without your bias included. Celebrating success and integrity. Operating from a position of transparency allows you to celebrate individual successes as well as overall team performance. 
It also allows you to critically analyze processes when things don't go as planned and identify what needs to be done in the future. When I think about teams that operate with high success and are effective in a sustainable way, transparency is always high on their list of priorities. If you are unsure whether information can be shared with your team, then ask. Make a point in every meeting you attend to ask for confidentiality requirements. Is there anything that's discussed in this meeting that I can't share with my team? Or, if you already know the meeting has a high level of sensitivity, you may ask, is there anything in this meeting that I can disclose to my team? Gain the approval of the meeting host to share the information, always ensuring you maintain your own integrity and are being transparent with your intentions for the information you're gathering. Transparency aligns really well with integrity. It's important that you, as a leader, regardless of the relationship that you have with a person, to never ever disclose information that you're not authorised to disclose. If you compromise your integrity around this just once, your staff will always question whether they can trust you. To add to that, if you need to talk to someone about information you've received that is highly confidential, consider talking to a qualified coach. A coach holds privacy and confidentiality at the centre of everything that they do. So whatever takes place with a client remains between the coach and the client. Sometimes having a conversation about something that's bothering you with a coach can help you work through your own thoughts and figure out the best action to take. Remember, share what you can, don't share what you can't, and always ask permission if the information is not yours to use. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Dynamic Leader Podcast. I hope you found some value in it. My biggest mantra in life is to pay it forward. As a leader, you have your own unique experience, and this could make a huge difference to someone else. So I encourage you to tell your leadership story, your failures and your successes, along with what you've learned along the way. Let's make the leadership playground safe enough for leaders to fall and get back up again. By the way, if you have a leadership story that is worth telling, I'd love to hear from you and even have you on one of my podcasts. So drop me a note and let's have a conversation. Thanks so much for listening.